Amen. You know, men, generally speaking, we, we face different temptations in our life. There are some things that I will be tempted to do that you won't be tempted to do. You know, I, I, you, know you can bring alcohol in front of me. And I can look at that alcohol, the bottle of alcohol, that can of beer, or whatever it is, and, and I have zero desire to drink. It's just, it's never, I've, I've actually never drank alcohol in my life, and it's never been a desire of mine to drink alcohol. But for some of you, alcohol has been a problem for you in your life, and it is a weakness in your life, and for you it is a great temptation, and it's hard for you to stay away from that temptation. And, and that, the same could be true in many different areas. There's areas that I may struggle in that you may not struggle in. There's areas that you struggle in that I don't struggle in and vice versa. But there is one temptation that every man faces. There is one temptation that we face and we face it from, from, from the time we become a man and, and take on responsibilities to the time we go to the grave. It is, a, it is a temptation that we continually have to war against. And so what we want to do is this morning, I titled the message, Every Man's Temptation, is we want to look in God's word and we want to see what that temptation is. And so we're going to start in Genesis. It would make sense to start in Genesis where man was first created, when God first created man. And so let's look in Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made man and God made woman, and God made them different. Amen? Men are men, and women are women, and, it's, and we're different by design. God, God uniquely wired men to be leaders and to be strong leaders that lead, that, that, that work and lead and lead the family. And God created us different than women, and it's, it's by different by design. He created man in his own image. We are made in the image of God. And then after God makes man... God gives man an instruction manual. How many of you men like instruction manuals? We don't like instruction manuals, do we? We don't like instructions. We think as men because God wired us to lead and to do. God made us doers, right? God made us, God made us to want to do, to work, to create. He put that drive in us as men. And we don't like instructions because we think that we can figure it out on our own. And, and I've told this story multiple times. So I'm not going to go into the whole story. But you guys remember that story I told about the tent? We went camping, me and my wife, and I got in the flesh. And I got upset and was rude to my family and rude to my kids. And it was all because my wife was trying to tell me, read the instructions on how to set up this three-step tent. Three steps. How hard can three steps be, right? It's supposed to be this instant pop-up tent. But I didn't listen. And sure enough, if I would have read the instructions, it would have been three steps. But instead, it was like 45 steps. And it was super complicated. And I'm frustrated. And it's dark. And there's mosquitoes. And it's hot. And I hadn't had supper. And I'm hangry. Anybody, any men in here get hangry? Any women get hangry? Yeah? Man, watch out. When you're around me, if I have not eaten. When, when, when we go on mission trips, I, I, I make sure that I have a lot of snacks in my backpack because I can't get in the flesh on a mission trip. You know, I have to be able to have sustenance all along the way. But God gave Adam instructions. And what were his instructions? Genesis 2, 15 through 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. What was the first thing that God established for Adam to do? To work, to be a doer, to work. 
This is before the curse, man. God was the first one to work. He worked six days and he rested on the seventh. Work was before the curse. I know some of you think, man, man, we, we, we work because of the curse. No, we sweat when we work because of the curse. <laughs> what, was work, what would the work been like <laughs> before the curse? If, if, if Adam wouldn't have fallen, we would have just kind of floated on clouds and done work. Wouldn't have been any labor, but we would have worked. But because of the curse, we sweat now. It's labor. It's, it's hard. It's, it's like planting seed in dry ground. You've got to till the ground. It's hard work. But the first thing that God told Adam was, I'm going to put you to work. He says, keep the garden, tend it. Then the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God gave Adam the instructions before God gave him a wife. God said, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to work. This is the responsibilities that I'm giving you. You're going to be responsible to lead and to guide and to provide. And then I'm going to give you a wife. And it was in that order. It was in that order. God gave Adam the instructions. Then God creates Eve. He takes, he puts Adam to sleep, takes the rib out from Adam. And, and from that rib, he fashions into a woman and presents Eve to Adam And the same joke is told every time we go through this story. Adam says, whoa, man, right? The same, that same response. He is, he calls her woman. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For she was taken out of man. And, and then you fast forward in the story. And let's look at Genesis chapter three. Eve is in the garden. And the serpent comes. The serpent comes. Satan comes in the form of a, Serpent begins to talk to Eve and begins to try to get Eve to doubt what God said. Now, where would Eve have heard the instructions from God? From Adam. Because who did God give the instructions to? Adam. He gave the instructions to Adam. The responsible party was Adam. And so she would have heard it from Adam. So she... Here's it from Adam, and then the serpent comes. Satan comes in the form of a serpent, begins to cast doubt on what God told her husband. And he said, did God really say? Did God really say that you can't eat from this tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And that's one of the first things that the enemy does in our life when he wants to get us to fall into sin. He tries to get us to doubt that God's word is true or that God can be trusted or that God, he wants us to believe that God is withholding something from us. And look what it says in Genesis 3, verses 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was good to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave, and also she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and he ate. Scripture says later on in the New Testament that Eve was deceived. Never says that Adam was deceived. It says Eve was deceived by the serpent, by by the serpent, by Satan. But Adam took the, the fruit from his wife and he knew what he was doing. He willfully disobeyed God's word. Eve was deceived. Now, 
what begins to happen here af- after this is that they recognize that they're naked. There's shame that comes and, 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 and comes into their life. And for the first time, they recognize that they're naked and they're filled with shame. And they seek to cover themselves. And they take the fruit of the ground and they, and they try to cover themselves. And it says that they run and they hide. And, and then look at Genesis 3, continuing on, verses 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What, what must have that have sounded like? God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of, of the garden. But the Lord God, say it with me, called to the man. Who did he call to? To the man. Who was he wanting to talk to? The responsible party. The one that he left in charge and said, Tend the garden. Keep the garden. Here's the instructions. Eat here, but you can't eat there. He gave him the instructions, gave him the responsibility. He's coming to talk to him. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God knew where Adam was. God wasn't confused. God's omniscient. He knows, but he's calling Adam to accountability. He's calling Adam to responsibility. Where are you, Adam? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I just, I just want to say this, that men have been hiding themselves ever since. Ever since. Men have been hiding themselves from responsibility, from accountability, ever since. Let's continue on in Genesis 3 here. God has a conversation with Adam and with Eve, and talking about what took place here. And so Adam tries to explain what happened. Here's his story. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. What is Adam doing here? He's blaming two two people. He's blaming his wife. And then he said, you gave her to me. He's doubting God's goodness and God's gift to him. He's blaming God. He's saying, God, you gave me this gift. She, the gift you gave me, she gave the fruit to me and I ate it. And so the common temptation that every man has as we see this story unfold, it started with Adam, it continues with us men, the common temptation. Passivity is the common temptation we all face as men. Passivity. To be passive. To, to not step up to the plate. To not be accountable. To not take responsibility. And it is, it is the temptation that we all face. Look, we don't knock it out the park all the time, do we men? No, no, we always will have that temptation to take the back seat, to not own up to our responsibilities, to, to not be diligent, to not be faithful. And passivity will always be the temptation that every man faces. We are tempted to run and hide. We're tempted to not take our place of responsibility in our marriages and with our children. And I want to make the case this, this morning that it is so important for us as men to be fully engaged Amen. in the responsibilities that we're called to. We desperately need in our society, and our culture, men that are fully engaged in what God has called them to do. I believe that in our society and in our culture that the family is under attack. And one of the, one of the avenues that the enemy of our soul, Satan, takes is he goes after the man because the man is called to lead. The man is called to take the responsibilities and the instructions from God and to give them to his family. And, and, and Satan knows that if he can go after the man 
and get men, especially Christian men, just to be passive, just, just to sit on the back burner and allow things to happen in their life and in their family and in their marriage and with their kids, that if he could get that foothold, he has the family. Men, you are powerful. You are influential. God created you to have great impact in the realms of influence that he's given you. That, that, that's not there by accident. That is there by design. So we want to ask the question this morning, why is it important for us as men to be fully engaged in our areas of responsibility? Why is it important? The first reason is this, because passivity, because passivity in a man's life is contrary to God's design. Because passivity in a man's life, being passive in your life, men, is contrary to God's design. God designed you. And we read it earlier in Genesis. God designed us to be responsible, to take responsibility. You know, generations ago, a few generations back, you would have a generation of, you, you, we had a generation of men that raised their hand, raised their hand and said, I'll go, I'll sign up. I'll go to foreign lands and I'll fight foreign battles. We still have men today that will do that, but it is only a remnant. Because slowly over time, that, that, that thing that God put in a man to lead, to take charge, to be responsible, to go into the battle, it's being eroded in men's lives in our culture. There is, listen, I believe there is an, an all-out assault on masculinity. That, 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 that our culture wants to make men like women. And men were never designed to be like women. It is impossible for a man to ever be a woman. Because when God makes you a man or a woman, he makes you a man or a woman. There's certain, there, there are certain, certain things that can never be changed. And it is a good design. And we need more and more men that will rise up and say, I, I, I am who God made me to be. I'm going to take responsibility for who God's made me to be. And I'm going to function how he created me to be. I'm not going to be passive. I'm, I'm going to, by design, follow the, the, the instructions and, 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 and be responsible for what God has called me to do. God created men to lead. And this is not an issue of, of a man being greater than, than a woman. It is roles and responsibilities. God made man first, gave him responsibility first to lead, to guide, to direct, to nurture, to care, to provide for, to defend. We need strong, courageous men in our culture and in our society that are proud of being a man. God created men to lead. He created men to be responsible, to initiate. Men, we are initiators. How many initiators we have this morning? come on man come on men initiators look you got all these men listen if you're not married here this morning don't wait on the woman the bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing so guys Look, you may see it on TV and you may see it in sitcoms where the woman is, is the aggressor and there's women out there that are like that. But I'm telling you, don't, don't, look, you be the initiator. God called you to initiate, to lead, to be the one that pursues in love and care and concern for somebody that you're in love with. We're initiators. And you know, and that, that, initi- that initiating doesn't stop after you get married. After you win the prize, 
After you, you, you catch your prize, you, you got your husbands realize that you're called to initiate the rest of your life. Amen? Women? God made us that way. I said this already, but this, I'm going to say it again because it needs to be said again. There has been a systematic attempt in our culture to emasculate men, to try and make men more like women. Men are created different by design. God's design is good. God's design is good. And when men function as God designed, there is great blessing and safety for the family. So there's two areas we're called to, to lead in and to not be passive in. First is in our marriages, men. Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What type of love did Christ have for the church? Was it a passive love? It was an act of love. It was an, an act of love. He loved the church by act, he actively loved the church by laying down himself for the church. So this love that we should have for our wives is an act of love. It is an aggressive love. It is a love that is based on the foundation of the love of Christ in our heart. So in our marriages, husbands, we love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he may sanctify her. Men, men, listen. This is a parallel. And you get to the end here. Apostle Paul is saying that this, this, is, this represents Christ and the church, but it also represents us as husbands with our wives. Listen to what our responsibility is, that he might sanctify her. We know that Christ is the only one that can sanctify our wives, but what Paul is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here in Ephesians is that we get to play a part in that sanctification by being the spiritual leaders of our home and pointing our wives to, being come, to becoming more like Christ in their life. It's our responsibility. It's an act of responsibility. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, which is the tool for sanctification, the word of God, so that he might present the church. On that day, Christ will present us that have placed our faith in Jesus to the Father. He will present us without spot or wrinkle. Husbands, we have that same responsibility on our shoulders. That he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Second area that we're to be active and not passive is with our children. Let's look what it says in Ephesians 6 going on. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. That you may live long in the land. I, I always like to remind this to my children. You need to obey me so you can live. <laughs> you don't want to die. God's word says if you don't want to die... You better obey me. And I'm not the one that's going to kill you. I'm just saying. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Children, if you're still under the authority of your parents, if you want to live long in the land and at their house, you better obey. You better obey. And listen to what it says here. Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How are you going to bring them up if you're passive? It's not going to happen. Bringing them up is an act of responsibility, fathers, that we have. And this is not just us as fathers with the first generation. This is grandfathers. You can join in and help your your sons and your son-in-laws out by helping bring up your children and grandchildren in in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So 
the first reason why it's important for us as men to be fully engaged is that that passivity is contrary to God's design. Men, we are created to be men. We're created to be initiators. We're created to be leaders. Amen? Amen. Second reason why it is important for us to be fully engaged as men, number two, is because being fully engaged is a reflection of Christ. Being fully engaged is a reflection of Christ. Jesus was fully engaged as a servant leader. He knew his calling and was committed to bringing glory to God through his life. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 2? Jesus and his family, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they were part of a caravan and they were traveling as a caravan and, and all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph start spreading word around the caravan. Has anybody seen Jesus? Anybody seen? Where's, where's Jesus? And the word spreads. I can just picture it spreading all along the caravan. And, and they can't find Jesus. And, and they're in a panic. And they're looking all over for Jesus. And where do they find Jesus? In the temple. And so, so they come and they find Jesus in the temple. And, and Jesus' response, I, I mean, I can just imagine my son Joel. He's 12 years old. Like Jesus was right here. can imagine him telling me this response. And, and he, he, look, he looks at his parents and says, why are you looking for me? Like, this is my 12-year-old son. Why am I looking for you? I'm looking for you because you're my son. I've been, to, I've been given a responsibility to, to care for you. And, and they knew who he was. They knew that this was not just any ordinary son. They knew that this, that this, was, that this child was sent by God. Can you imagine having to care like, like, we all know our children are sent from God, but Jesus was sent from God. Jesus was God in the flesh. And so he said, why are, you, why are you looking for me? Don't you know? Don't you understand? I have to be about my father's business, his work. From a very early age, at 12 years old, he knew why he was here. He was fully engaged. And then you go to, you read on in John chapter 6, verse 38. This is what Jesus says. For I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, I'm not here. I'm not here for me. I'm not here to do what I want to do. He could have done what he wanted to do because he was God in the flesh. But he, he demonstrated for us, men, what it means to be submitted to authority, to the will of the Father. You, you, we, we, we hear Jesus say in the Gospels that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I only say the things I hear my Father say and do the things I see my Father do. He was in perfect submission to his heavenly Father. He was submitted. He was fully engaged in what God has called him to do. And what was he called to do? To become the sacrifice for humanity. To take upon himself the wrath of God that was due on sinful humanity. That was his calling. And look, you can't be halfway with that calling. Do you remember in the Gospels, the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is hours from the most intense pain he's ever going to experience. He's hours from beard being ripped out, thorns being crushed into his skull, being lashed on his back with a whip. He's hours away from, from being crucified for the sins of the world. And he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he brings his disciples with him and he asks his disciples, he says, can you please tarry, wait, and pray with me? And he goes off by himself and he begins to pray. Let's look at Luke twenty-two thirty-nine through 44. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into, into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was fully engaged. He knew. He knew what he was about to have to experience. And he knew what he was about to experience for me. For me. For my sin. For my rebellion. For my disobedience. For for me turning my back on him. He knew he was about to take that on my behalf. And on your behalf. And he was fully engaged. He said, not my will, not what I want, but what you want. Lord, your will be done. Jesus knew the pain and suffering he was walking into. He knew he was about to experience the most excruciating pain he would ever face. And men, when we are fully engaged, when we are all in with our responsibilities as husbands, as fathers, as leaders on our jobs, as leaders in the community, when we are fully engaged, it reflects Christ. When we say, it's okay if I suffer. Listen, men, when you say it's okay if I don't get my way, it reflects Christ. Men, we like to have it our way, right? We want to have it our way. We, we don't like to be inconvenienced. We like to have that remote control to watch what we want to watch. We like things to work for us the way we want it to work for us. And kids can mess that up. But men, when we say not my will, not what I want, it reflects Christ. It is a reflection of Christ. Hours before Jesus is to be crucified, he's fully engaged. He's all in. You know, men, the leadership that Jesus demonstrates for us, this fully engaged, non-passive leadership, it was founded on a foundation of a servant's heart. It was founded on a foundation. You will never sacrifice your time, men. You will never sacrifice your energy. You will never sacrifice what you want to do unless you have the heart of a servant. And this is what Jesus modeled. If you remember, again, before the Garden of Gethsemane, in the upper room with his disciples, right before Jesus begins to talk to them about what's about to take place, there's this, the disciples are arguing amongst themselves. And they're saying, who's going to be the greatest? And, and, and I'm going to sit on his right, I'm going to sit on his left. And, and even a mother of two of the, of two of the disciples went to Jesus and tried to jockey for, for position for her sons and said, please let my son sit on your right and on your left. And they're trying to find position and power. And they're acting like a typical man acts, right? Trying to jockey for position. But what did, what did Jesus do? He didn't, he didn't rebuke them verbally. He rebuked them by action. John chapter 13 says this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I just, I don't know if we understand that. I don't know if we fully understand that, that picture. 
This is the sinless, spotless Son of God. This is God in the flesh. He could have demanded anything and everything from those men. But he demonstrated for us men the greatest sign of humility. In that culture, in that time. For somebody that these disciples considered to be a ruler and a king, the Messiah that was to come, they didn't understand when he would talk about dying. That's why Peter said, Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, when Jesus talked about dying, because that was not in their understanding. They saw him as a ruler, as a king that was going to free the Jewish people from Roman oppression. The, nation, the history of the, of the Jews is a history of oppression and, and, and deliverance, oppression and deliverance, and they believed that Jesus was the one that would finally deliver them from being oppressed as a nation of people. And so for this ruler in their eyes, for this king in their eyes to kneel down with a a servant's apron around him, to kneel down and to take a basin and to wash the disciples' feet full of filth and dirt was 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 the greatest demonstration for us as men of what it means to be a true leader. I mean, you, you, yes, you are a leader, Yes, you have been given responsibility and you're called to lead and to provide. But you are not the king of your home. You are, have not been called to rule with an iron fist. Jesus could have ruled with an iron fist, but he didn't. He is our demonstration and he is our model. Men, you are leaders, but you are servant leaders. You, you, we as men have to follow the model that Jesus gave us. Our leadership as husbands and fathers should not be a domineering, self-centered leadership. It's not about us, men. We're called to lay down our life. It's not about us, our time, what we want, our hobbies. It's about our wife. It's about our children. You know, I fight that, men. Do you fight that with me? I'm self-centered, just like we all are as men. I tend to be self-centered. You know, when, when, when we leave here this afternoon, it's Father's Day, right? I want to watch the U.S. Open golf tournament. Anybody else going to watch it with me? Oh, come on. If I said there was like a fishing tournament, you guys would be watching it, right? Because that's more in line with the men of our church. I've got a few guys going to watch the golf tournament. You know, there's times, you know, there's a golf tournament almost every weekend. And God bless my wife and kids. They let me watch it on Sundays. If you want to know what your pastor is doing Sunday afternoons after I preach, my legs are kicked up and I'm watching golf. (laughs) It's true. That's my wife. She, I, don't know, I don't know where she's at. She's somewhere in the building. But um, she's watching my kids <laughs> on Father's Day. You know, there's times where I don't want to be inconvenienced. I just want to watch golf. I don't, and the kids are going crazy. And, and, and there's chaos and drama. And Maybe I've been at work all day and I've been studying, trying to understand the text so I can explain it to you guys clearly so you understand it. I'm trying to please the Lord through the preaching of his word. And I come home and it's just like, oh my goodness. And, and, and I, think, I think, oh, I better watch my tongue. I better not say that. I better not say, what have you been doing all day? Right, man, that is, the, you, you may think it. You may think it meant for, for those of you that have wives that are stay-at-home moms, do not ever say that. That is the wrong. It may cross your mind, but I promise you that is from the devil. <laughs> I heard this one preacher say that his responsibility every day when he gets home, he will not go into the house 
He will not go into the house. Sometimes he pulls up. He will not go into the house until he's ready to die at the door. I mean, not literally. I'm talking spiritually, right? Flesh, die. What I want, die. I'm going to die at the door. And I'm going to go in, and this is not about me. It's not about me having to watch the golf tournament. It's not about me uh, wanting supper already done. If I got to help cook, we're going to cook. We're going to clean. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. Our leadership as husbands and fathers should not be a domineering, self-centered leadership. If we truly reflect Christ in our leadership, we must follow his style of leadership. Amen? This is the second reason why we must be fully engaged as men. Because when we live that way, men, as husbands and fathers, we reflect Christ. Thirdly, third reason that we should be fully engaged as men is because our children desperately need protection. Our children desperately need protection. Physical protection is the obvious responsibility we have. That's the no-brainer, right, men? You, you, you have no problem protecting your children physically. Let somebody try to harm your child. What's going to happen? You might be in jail, right? That's no problem. And if that is a problem, we need to talk after service. We can work some things out for you, help you understand. So that's not the issue. But there is a greater danger that your kids have, even greater than physical death and physical harm. It is a a spiritual climate that our kids are growing up in. Our kids desperately need protection. And this is why we must be fully engaged as men. You know, Judges chapter 17 verse 6 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is America. This is where we're raising our kids. Our children are growing up in the middle of a culture that is completely, and that that is not an overstatement, we are living in a culture that has completely thrown off moral restraints. There are no taboos left. There there, there just aren't. Because if you call something a taboo, then, then then you are infringing on someone's right to be what they want to be. So there's no more taboos. The only taboo that is left is absolute truth. The only taboo is left is biblical morality. And that, and that is increasingly becoming more difficult to stand on biblical truth. And this is where we're raising our kids. And, and men, we cannot allow anyone else to teach our kids. We cannot allow the culture to teach our kids. We cannot relegate that to the culture. Listen, your kids will be taught. They're going to learn. They're going to hear the messages. And if you are not the guardian, men, if you're not the guardian of the messages that are coming into your kids' ears and through their eyes, then they're going to come under the sway of the evil one. They'll come under, look, they're already, they're already under the sway and under temptation. We have to be fully engaged, fully engaged. Our children need protection from the lies of our culture, lies that are motivated by the God of this world, Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, lowercase g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. What is Satan's job? He wants to blind the minds of people. And so the minds of the unbelievers in this culture, their minds are 
the, the eyes of their heart and their, and their mind are blinded to the truth and, and, and they don't care about biblical truth. They don't care that you want to teach your kids right and wrong and they don't care that you want to, to teach them what a biblical family looks like. They don't care that you want to teach them what human sexuality should look like. Their minds are blinded and they have one objective, to teach your children lies. And men, we must rise up and be the guardians and protectors of our family the guardians of the windows and the eye gate and the ear gate in our children's lives. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are these strongholds that we're destroying? Apostle Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Husbands, fathers, it is our responsibility to help our kids do that. To be able to destroy arguments. You know, I remember there was one, there was one discussion I'm having over dinner. I was reading this article. Reading this article. And it was an article about a young boy. And this was, I don't know, two, three months ago. It was an article about a young boy. And he was confused about who he was. And the article talked about how this young boy was communicating to his parents that he didn't know what bathroom to go to. And so sometimes he felt like he should go to the women's bathroom and sometimes he felt like he should go to the men's bathroom. But he was, but he was a boy. And so his parents said, well, you, you just be who you want to be. And so he decided, I'm, neither gonna be, I'm not going to either be a male or I'm not even going to be a female. I'm going to be both. And they created this new distinction for who he could be. And so I remember reading that article, and this was just a, a few months ago. Joel's 12 years old, and Eliana is 10. Reagan, she's it's about to be four. She doesn't understand what's going on but my 12 and my 10 year old do and so I thought what am I going to do look my kids need to dialogue about this I never really dialogued with them about this big issue in our culture and so I sat down at the dinner table and I I read portions of of the article to them and I didn't say anything other than reading it and I said Joel what do you think and Eliana what do you think and they shared their thoughts and they were confused What does that even mean? And so that's what I had to do. I had to dialogue and discuss with them. Men, don't be afraid to do that. It's okay. Talk about it. If if, if you know your kids are old enough to understand that, sit down with them at the dinner table and discuss those issues. Listen, the culture is going to feed them lies. And it's going to get them to believe things about themselves that are not true. And they are deceptive arguments and they are they are they are against the knowledge of God what do we know about the knowledge of God of who we are as men and women we know that God created men to be men and women to be women and so that's what we did we went to Genesis with Joel and Ellie said here it's clearly portrayed here this is a a deception and this is a lie and this is not from God and we're going to cast down that argument man we have to be fully engaged in the battle look you don't have to be articulate you don't have to have all the biblical knowledge figured out you just got to be willing. You got to be willing just to talk to them. Start the conversation. Engage with them. But you won't do it if you don't recognize 
that, that you've been given that responsibility. If you don't take ownership to that calling. You know, being a parent, being, being a father, man, is one of the greatest privileges you will ever have in this life. You know, you, you can take everything from me. You can take my responsibilities. You can take my house and my car and my possessions. You take everything from me. If I am a good husband and I'm a good father and I have the love and respect of my wife and my kids, that is the greatest possession I can ever own as a man. Do you believe that, men? Greatest possession. We must protect our children from the deceptions that lurk around every corner. It's endless. It's endless. The last thing in closing here, last reason why we must be fully engaged as men in our areas of responsibility. Number four, because the gospel moves forward with power when men take their place as servant leaders. That's true. That is true. And this is my prayer for, our, for Living Word Church. As the family goes, as the men go, so goes the family. As the men go, so goes the church. The gospel will move forward in our community and in this church and around the world when we as men take our place as servant leaders. And I thank, I thank God Amen, yes. I thank God that we have a church full of men that love the Lord. What a a great church full of men that love the Lord, that are committed to their wives and their children. But I'm I'm praying that that only increases. I'm praying that, that, that the responsibilities we've been given as men, that we will take those responsibilities serious, that we will go even greater and go even further and make more impact into our families and and, and on our workplace and in in our community. I want our church, Living Word Church, I want our church to be known as a church full of godly men who lead their wives and their children well. Amen. That that, That is the desire of my heart in my life and I want that men to be the desire of your heart. I'm I'm desperate. I'm desperate. Look, I I am desperate for help every day to war against my flesh. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I buffet my body daily so, so that I beat it into subjection so that after I preach, I won't be disqualified. Look, I, I have to make an effort to walk in the ways of the Lord because if, 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 I'm not, if, if I don't live what I preach, I'm disqualified. Men, you're called. You've been equipped. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And you are leaders, men. You are leaders. Maybe some of you say, well, I don't really want to be a leader. It's not my thing. Well, I just want to tell you, you have no choice in the matter. You have, you have no choice. You, you will be a leader. You will be. You will be. The question is not will you be a leader. The question is what kind of leader will you be? That's the question. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? I I don't know about you, men, but I want to be a godly leader. I want to be a godly leader. I want to be a man that pleases the Lord, puts him first, loves my wife well, leads my kids well. It's my desire. I just want to do this. I, I know I don't want to put pressure on anybody, but I just want to pray for the men.
I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for the men. If, you, if that's your desire, you want to be a godly man, and you want to serve and lead your family well, come, come, come down. Let's come down. Come down the front. Fill these altars up. That's all of us. Men, that's, that's, that's all of us. We all desire that. Come on down. Come on down. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Pastor Freddie, I want you to come up here. Y'all keep, keep coming down. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to wait on all the men. Thank you, Jesus. I want, I want you to pray for us as men. I want you to pray what's on your heart. Pray, pray, pray for us. We are, we are desperately in need of God's grace to be who God called us to be. Before we pray, in the eyes of the entire church. It is incumbent upon every man who comes and grace your presence through these doors to lift up this man in prayer. No greater responsibility has been given to this young man than to lead God's people in truth. This man is not perfect. But he fears God. Not only does he fear God, but he honors God to walk out what he preaches. No greater responsibility has been placed in his lap than to lead a godly example in the eyes of every man that he faces. And many of you know who spend a quality time with him and have spent any time know that he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. But also, you just need to know that the enemy is after head. So you can cut off an arm and the body will still live. We still live. You cut off a leg and you tend to the blood flow and you can still live. But when you cut off the head, it's pretty, at that pretty much, you will take care of the body. And the enemy is not only after the head, But he wants every man. I heard a preacher talk about on the day that a woman pushes out a son, that the enemy assigns assassins after him. Because in every man lies a generation of men who will hit this planet. Because men, you carry the seed of the generation. And whether you want to understand it or not, my question to you is, long after you're gone, what kind of planet, what kind of people will be on the planet because of you, the progenitor of the seed? It's you, men. It's always been you. It's always who the enemy has been after. So today we're going to pray. And I want every mom, every wife, every daughter, every grandmother to lift your hand toward these men. And I want you to pray and I want you to let Satan know, not my husband, not my son, not my grandson. You will not have them because they belong to Jesus Christ. These men are not perfect. We fear God. But our greater fear is failure to be who God has called us to be. Sometimes a man will crawl in his cave. And cry and weep, God, make me a better man. So today, on this Father's Day, 
we will declare victory for every man and every struggle. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know the struggle of every man. Lord, our desire is to be the man you called us to be. And we raise the banner of righteousness high today. As every woman raised her hand toward this altar. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that has freed every man from his own way. That we will follow after Jesus Christ. We will walk in the righteousness of God. Every man that is under the sound of my voice, our desire is to be God pleasers. To be men of integrity. To be men after your, your own heart, oh God. God, that we will, at the end of our journey, we want to hear you say, well done. Son, at the end of our journey, we want to be God pleasers. So, Father, today we lift up our pastor before you, that you will guard his heart and his mind, that you will guard his eyes and give him righteous eyes, that you will protect him and keep him strong. And, Father, every single man that has committed themselves to righteous living, that every man that has committed himself to be a servant leader in this church, we thank you for every man that is following the love of Jesus Christ, that there will be Christ in their home, that there will be Christ on their job, that there will be Christ in the marketplace. For in the end of our journey, it is not how much money we have put in the bank. It is not how big our homes are or the car we drive. God will ask, what did you do with the responsibility that I've given you as a man? And Father, we thank you now. You are raising godly men in this generation. We break every generational curse that has been in on these men's lives. We break it in the name of Jesus. These men will rise up and be what you've called them to be. We pray for our young men. We pray for our boys that you will break that spirit of femininity over them, that the enemy will try to say that they're not who they are. We pray for our young teenage boys that they will walk in integrity, that they will honor their father and their mother. We pray for our young men, God, that are strong and virile, that they will, Lord God, commit their ways to you. And today we seal it by the precious blood of Jesus. And we will have victory in every area of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.